Yeah, so I joked, we'll see how today goes. Maybe you'll invite me back for part two of my message. We'll see. So I'm only looking at this as a one-shot deal, but we'll see. Lord willing. Can you guys hear me okay? Excellent? All right. Well, as David said, well, first of all, good morning, New Village. Um, great to be here with all of you today, and it's, it's been such a nice warm welcome that I've received from all of you, so I really appreciate it. Uh, my family appreciates it, so thank you. I've heard some wonderful things about you through David and through Kristen, who also comes to Shelter Rock Church, um, about you guys and just what God is doing here. And so I'm excited to be here today with all of you. As David said, I am uh, a pastor over at Shelter Rock Church in Nassau County. We are a multi-site church. We have three locations. Uh, we call them campuses, um, with a fourth, which is now a campus in and of itself, online campus. So in addition to our physical locations, we now have a dedicated service to those who are joining us online. And for whatever reason, it could be people that haven't yet felt comfortable to come back to church or have just discovered us through online. And it's been really encouraging to see how God has been just growing that. Um, and I'm the online campus pastor, so my role is to lead and shepherd uh, those who are in the online community um, and to stay connected with them and shepherd them in their faith with Jesus Christ. Um, other than being a pastor, um, I'm a husband to my wife, Heather, who's here today. We've been married for 17 years. There's a picture of the family. Um, we have four sons. Uh, my oldest is 15, Matthew. Uh, Brendan is 12. Jacob is 9. And Nathaniel is 7. I have three of my sons here today. My oldest, we just dropped him off yesterday. He's spending a week over at Northern Frontier Camp. Uh, so he'll be there for the week. Um, but again, very happy to be here uh, today with all of you. And as part of Shelter Rock, one of our missions is to come alongside other churches in the kingdom of God. And it's one of our really foundational uh, vision for reaching Long Island. And so we never look at Shelter Rock Church as our church. We believe we're serving Christ's church. It's his church. And so uh, to hear that there was a need here today was something that was just um, exciting to us that we get to come in and partner with other churches along uh, across Long Island to help reach Long Island for the gospel message. And so um, when David first approached me, and said, well, you get to speak on anything you want. Um, I prayed about it, and the Holy Spirit really spoke to me about speaking on the Lord's Prayer. Now, when I think of the Lord's Prayer, I think of a quote by American philosopher, Christian author Dallas Willard. He wrote in his book, Divine Conspiracy, if you've ever read it, that familiarity breeds, un I'm sorry, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity, unsuspecting familiarity, and then contempt. Which basically means that sometimes you can be so familiar with something that it becomes unfamiliar to you. And you can lose sight of the significance of the original meaning of that thing. And we think about this all the time. You know, the new car smell starts to wear off over time, right? The, the excitement of a new relationship starts to fade over time. What was unfamiliar 
what, is, what has been familiar becomes unfamiliar, and it sort of loses its luster. So have you ever experienced that, where something became so familiar to you that it lost its luster? Well, one of the reasons that the Lord put the Lord's Prayer in my heart is that this is a prayer that if we spend any time in church, any Christian denomination, it has become so familiar to us. And growing up, I grew up Catholic, so the Lord's Prayer was actually the first prayer that I ever learned. I still remember kneeling by my bedside as a little boy and having my mom teach me the Lord's Prayer. I memorized it. But she never explained to me the themes behind the words that I was saying. And I believe that if we were to take some time to consider the themes that are behind these words of Jesus, that it will revolutionize our faith and it will deepen our relationship with God. So what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to go verse by verse through the Lord's Prayer and we're going to discover just the enduring nature and the universal, really, significance of the first prayer that Jesus ever taught. In fact, it's the only prayer that Jesus ever taught. So today, we're going to be looking, we're going to rediscover the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to look at the first verse of the Lord's Prayer. Now, I know what you're probably thinking. Mike, you came here and you're only preaching on one verse today? You've really made it easy on yourself, haven't you? <laughs> Let me tell you, it is not easy to just preach on one verse and fill up 40 minutes of time. <laughs> but also, there is so much to unpack in this one verse that I could probably spend weeks on this one verse. In fact, there was so much that I couldn't say today just to keep a narrow focus on what I feel God wants us to get from this verse that I encourage you in your own time to, to read this verse and, and study the Lord's Prayer on your own. So if you have your Bibles with me, with you, I'm going to put the verses up on the screen. You can see behind me. Um, but we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And before we get into the scripture, what I want to do is just bow your heads with me and let's pray and ask God to come and illuminate his scripture to us. So, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for the opportunity today to be in your word, to hear from your word. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and illuminate the passages today. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what it is that you want us to see through studying the Lord's Prayer. We pray that we would be transformed by the words in your scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So like I said, the verses are going to be up on the screen, um, but you can also follow along in your book. I'm reading from the NIV. I noticed that you have the NASB, um, very similar, um, but follow along. Um, just to give you a little bit of background, um, this, this uh, verse, or the Lord's Prayer, I should say, um, comes in two places in the Bible, Matthew chapter 6 and Luke 11. 
We're reading from Matthew chapter 6. This is part of Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. So here Jesus is, his public ministry, he's teaching his disciples, his followers, and he comes to this section in the Sermon on the Mount about prayer. And prior to coming into the Lord's Prayer, prior to actually teaching them how to pray, Jesus teaches them how not to pray. So right before we launch into the Lord's Prayer, Jesus talks about how we are to pray not in a public setting where we're praying for the crowds to hear us and, and hear our prayers, but we're to go away into, into a room, into a private place with our Father in heaven, and we're to pray. And so one of the things that's so encouraging to me is that before Jesus teaches them how to pray, he deals with their heart. He deals with the very thing that could become an obstacle to their prayer life. So after telling them how they should not pray and what can become a stumbling block, that's where we pick it up in verse 9. So we're going to read together, starting in verse 9, chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now in your Bible, you probably see in brackets, it says, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? So depending upon how you were raised, um, you may have been raised um, with that. Um, I was not raised with that. Um, it does not show up in my NIV translation. The reason why it is in brackets is because it's actually not part of the original Greek manuscript of the New Testament. Um, that was inserted as part of the, uh, the Didache, which is an early post-resurrection, AD 70 through 100, thought to be written by the 12 apostles as sort of like a supplement to the New Testament teaching how to live out the Christian life. Um, it is biblical, so it's not to say that we're inserting words where there shouldn't be words that belong. We read, and we can kind of go over this, but in Chronicles, it, there is actually a verse which very closely mimics, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. So it was really inserted just to make this prayer a little bit more congregational and worshipful, and sort of added like a closing to the prayer. Um, but for the purposes of rediscovering the Lord's Prayer together, um, I'm not really going to be teaching on, on that per se today. We're going to look at the original Greek manuscript together. So, these verses may sound very familiar to you. As I said, we're going to be looking at just the first verse, which is verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what I want us to discover today from this verse are two themes. Two themes. One is that when we approach God in prayer, we are to approach him from a place of intimacy. The second thing, the second theme that I want all of you to discover today is that when we approach God in prayer, that we are to approach him in reverence. And so there's this interconnecting theme that we're going to talk about today called intimate reverence. And so that is the main crux of this first verse. 
our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So what we're going to do is we're going to break it down, first half of the verse, and then we're going to talk about the second half of the verse. So let's look at the first one together. Approach God in prayer from a place of intimacy. So we look at the verse, and the first thing that we see is we notice how the prayer begins. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. So right away, we see that Jesus specifically addresses the one that he's praying to. Our Father in heaven. So what he's using here is two things. Well, first we see communal language being set up, right? Our Father. He didn't just say, my Father. He said, our Father. And when he's teaching this, we're, what we're learning from this is that we're, we're coming to a place of prayer. When we approach God, we realize that we are part of God's family. Our Father. He's not just my Father. He's not just your Father. It's our Father. And we are part of God's family. He is our father, and we are his sons and daughters. But the second thing we see is that he's using identity language, identity language, referring to God as father, as father. He gives him a name. But if you study this word father, it's not just a positional identity. It's not just a positional relationship that you are my father and I am your son. You remember maybe growing up, you know, you know, or we remember from Star Wars, Luke, I am your father, right? I am your father. And he, he said that not from a very relational sort of intimate way, but just from a very positional way. Know your place. That's not what Jesus is using here. Jesus is using relational language. Jesus, what we see from this text, is that he had a close, intimate relationship with his father. He had a close, intimate relationship with the one that he was praying with. And that is the reason why he could approach God in this way, is that he had spent the time to cultivate a relationship with God. And this was radical in Jesus' day. You might remember from John, from John 5 when Jesus healed the paralytic on the Sabbath day. And, he, and, and when he was questioned why he would do that, he said, because my father is even at work unto this day. He identified himself with his father. And this fear infuriated the, uh, the leaders, the Jewish leaders at the time. To, to say that you were even as equal to God in that way. And so it was a radical thing. And not to say that Father and God, use, you know, referencing God as Father was something that was a new concept. You know, there's been some writings that this Jesus was the first person to, um, to refer to God as Father. That is not the case. We see it all throughout Old Testament that, you know, God is a Father to the fatherless, right? We, we read that. And so, yes, this positional sort of view of God is now taking on a new meaning in that it's relational. So Jesus is teaching us that when we come to God in prayer, we are to address him specifically out of a personal relationship. And the names that we use are important because names help to identify us. 
our surnames, for example, our last names, are typically used, have historically been used to identify us. In fact, there's three ways that our surnames have been used to help identify us in the world. One is called locative. Now, this could be, this is just to give you an example, my last name. So my last name is Shara, and that's because my family comes from a city in Sicily named Shara. So your last name could connect you to the place where you lived or your place of origin, and that was a way of, to identify you. Now, the second way that last names have been used to identify you would be occupational. For example, Samantha Baker was named Samantha Baker because she came from a long line of bakers. Her family were the bakers in the village or the town, and so she was given the name Baker. But there's a third way that our last names historically have been used to identify us, and that's called patronymic. Patronymic means that you were named based on who your father was, on who your father was. So, for example, Brooke had a father named Richard. So her name was Brooke Richards. So she had her identity found on who her father was. So when Jesus is teaching that we are to approach God in prayer and address him as our father, what he's trying to help us to understand is that when we come to him in prayer, we're identifying with our Father. We're identifying with the one in whom we belong to, the one in whom we belong to. We don't pray to a God with no name. We don't pray like the world to the universe that has no name, that has no location. No, we pray to our Father in heaven out of a personal relationship with God. And Jesus, he had a close, intimate relationship with God. Do you have a close, intimate, personal relationship with God? Have you spent the time to cultivate that? Or is there some distance between you two? You know, part of the reason why there could be some distance between you and God, there's a few reasons. One is that intimacy is a difficult thing. In fact, when I mentioned this word intimacy at the beginning of my sermon, some of you may have kind of cringed a little bit. It's not a word that we're comfortable with because the working definition of intimacy is into me see. That you see into me. That, that you see all of me with warts and all. And, though, and so when we're intimate with somebody else, there's a certain level of risk. Because if I show you everything of who I am with all of my faults and all of my hang-ups, and I have plenty of them, you can just ask my wife, there's a risk that you might reject me. There's a risk that you'll think differently about me. And so it's easier to keep a distance. It's easier to keep us at arm's length. There's other reasons why intimacy is a difficult thing for us. Some people have no problems being vulnerable with other people. You might have a best friend, 
you know, a girlfriend, guys, you hang out, you share everything that's going on in your life. In fact, you might have somebody that as soon as something happens in your life, you call up that person, you text that person, you are already on the phone with that person and you are sharing what's happening. So some of you don't have a problem with being vulnerable. However, you're missing out if you're only using people as a way to be vulnerable, to experience that intimacy. If you're never going to God, if you're using people as a substitute and never going to God and never going to him and sharing with him your, your fears, your concerns, your anxieties, your worries, your joys, the things that are happening in your life, if you go to him secondary instead of primary, you're missing out on the intimacy, this intimacy that Jesus is modeling for us in the Lord's Prayer. The third reason why there potentially could be some distance between you and the Father is that it's very natural for us, depending upon the type of relationship you had with your earthly father growing up, to project that onto God. In fact, Intimacy with God was very difficult for me because as a child, I never really had a close relationship with my earthly father. Now, don't get me wrong, he was a a nice man, he was mild-mannered, but he just physically and emotionally just wasn't present, wasn't, wasn't there. In fact, I cannot remember a time where I really connected with my dad, bonded with my dad, where he poured into my life in any sort of way. And so what happened was that I became very self-reliant. Self-reliant. I didn't have somebody that I could lean on and glean from and learn from. I had to do it on my own. And so it was very difficult for me to go to God and look at him as my father because like my earthly father, I thought he was unconcerned, absent, bigger things in the world to think about than my little old life. Until I read scriptures and discovered for myself Psalm 139, that before I was even in my mother's womb, he knew me. That every hair on my head, or lack thereof, is counted. He put every star in the sky, and he knows each one by name. That is when the walls came down. And God is speaking to some of you today, and he wants you to bring down your walls. Whatever it is that is holding you back from getting close to him, he wants you to bring down those walls. So maybe you can relate to some of these things. Some of you may have had an experience with your earthly father, and it may have been a wonderful example of who Father God could be in your life. But you know, none of us are perfect. I'm not a perfect father. As much as I strive to be, I am not a perfect father. And so what I want my children to learn is that their heavenly father, he is perfect. That in his presence, they are safe. They are safe in his arms. Because he doesn't look at us and see our sin. He doesn't look at us and see all our mistakes and our hang-ups and our quirks and our insecurities. He sees us 
through Jesus' eyes. He sees us through everything that Jesus is for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so we are safe in his arms. And Jesus is this model. And so how do we increase intimacy with God? There's a few ways if you're struggling in this area. The first way, and you may have heard this described, but one of the ways, and love is spelled T-I-M-E, right? I don't know if you've ever heard that. Time, uh, love is spelled T-I-M-E. It's time. In order to cultivate a personal relationship with Christ, we need to spend time with God. We need to set aside and devote time in God's presence. Now, this could happen in many different ways. Obviously, coming to church is one way that you are dedicating and devoting an hour and a half of your Sunday to God, and that's wonderful. But there needs to be more on a personal level. And so one of the great ways is to personalize scripture. Personalize scripture. I don't know if you've ever done this. But when I read those verses in Psalm 139, that, that before I was in my mother's womb, he knew me. He saw my unformed body. Personalizing scripture made all the difference. Before he knew Michael, before, he, Michael, was, before Michael was in his mother's room, he saw Michael's unformed body. So when you personalize scripture in that way, all of a sudden, you feel closer and connected to God. Another way that you can increase intimacy, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying about sharing your intimate, most personal thoughts, journaling. Journaling your thoughts. Journaling your prayers to God. Taking a notebook and just writing down your fears, your anxieties, the things that you're going through in life. Putting them into a book and allowing God, opening yourself up that way, and then allowing God to speak into that. Allowing the Holy Spirit to bring scriptures to your mind that specifically address the things that you're going through, the things that you wrote down in your journal. And the wonderful thing about a journal is that you start to record your relationship with God, and, if, and when he comes through like he always will, is that you write those things down about how he addressed those things, and now you have a book of remembrance. And so when you're going through difficult times and circumstances, you can go back and you can open up that book and you can see that if God could do it once before, he can do it again, right? He can do it again. And so journaling has been a great way that, that I have developed intimacy in my relationship with God. Much to my wife's chagrin, by the way, because I have a boxes and boxes of journals in my attic. And she's like, when are you going to get rid of those things? And I'm like, never. I'm never getting rid of those things. Jesus is our model. And he teaches us that when we approach God in prayer, we are to approach him from this place of intimacy. The second theme that I want us to discover today when we're looking at verse 9 is that when we approach God from a place of intimacy, we also approach him from a place of reverence from a place of reverence. So let's look at verse 9 again. We just read, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now again, depending upon which translation you read or how you grew up learning this prayer, you may have said hallowed or you may have said holy. Right? Holy is your name. We're going to look at those two words together. I'm a big fan of linguistics, so I love taking words and breaking them down and looking at the root of them to discover a little bit more about 
what the original intent was. So hallowed comes from two original Greek words. One is hagiazo, and another is hagios. So hagiaz, the difference between the two is that one is an adjective and one is a verb. So something that is hallowed is something that is made holy, that is purified or consecrated or set apart for special use. So there's a physical action that's taking place. Hagios is more of an adjective to describe something that has already been consecrated, already been set apart, and used usually in a religious ceremony. And so, you know, if we think about Scripture, we think about this, and we see this all the time in the Old Testament, about how either objects or people were set apart for special use. We think of the 12 tribes of Israel. You may remember this from Old Testament Scripture. The Levites out of the 12 tribes, was the one tribe that God had set them apart specifically, and they were the only tribe that were allowed to enter into the holiest of holies, which was the most holy place inside the tabernacle, because that was where God's presence had lived, right? They felt that they believed that God's presence dwelled in the inner court of the temple, and only those that were consecrated unto him, the Levites, were able to enter. And the Levites were able to enter because they were the tribe that stood against idolatry under Moses's leadership, and they became spiritual intercessors for the people. And so we think of them as being set apart. Now, when I think of something that is personal to me, that I set apart, I think of my grandmother's china. Now, my grandmother and I had a very close relationship. She was very instrumental to me growing up, coming to the Lord, and we were very close. And before she passed away, she gave me her china set that she received as a wedding present in 1946 when she married my grandfather. And she always bragged about this set of china. Now, I know nothing about china. I know nothing about china. But she always bragged about it because she said it was Noritake china. You ever heard of Noritake china? Well, supposedly it's like the best china you could receive, at least at the time when she was married. And so... And my, fa- my grandfather, she, he, always, he always commented that my grandmother had expensive and, ex- well, he said exquisite taste, but I know what she, he meant. He meant expensive taste. <laughs> and so because this china was so important to my grandmother, when she gave it to me, it was important to me. And so you can see what I do with my grandmother's china, right? I put it in this shatterproof box. I, I wrap each piece individually with bubble wrap, right? I keep each piece separate and apart, and I keep each piece wrapped in bubble wrap. And I put this box, looks good for 1946, right? I keep this box in my attic. I don't keep it amongst my ordinary dishes in my kitchen. And I only take it out on a special occasion. I set it apart for special use. Now, what Jesus is teaching is that when we develop an intimate, 
personal relationship with the Father, we develop a deeper respect and reverence for him. And so, so when we think about Father and we think about the Lord's Prayer, we see that first addressing him in our prayers, the next thing that follows is praise and worship. And so to reverence something is to hold it in respect, like my grandmother's china. So I ask, do you have reverence for God? Do you set him apart as something special, not to be just easily handled in your life, in your heart? Do you have a sense of awe and wonder for who he is? Now, part of the reason that Jesus is teaching this to us is because he developed this intimacy, and there is a connection between intimacy and respect. There's a connection between intimacy and respect. We see this in relationships. Most oftentimes in marriages, when there's when there's a low level of respect for the husband and the wife, it's usually because there's a lack of intimacy. It's usually because there's a lack of intimacy. But the opposite is also true. When two people are spending time together, getting to know one another, are transparent with one another, there's a deep level of respect that occurs for that other person. And so like my grandmother's china, because I had developed a personal relationship with her, it holds significant sentimental value to me. Now, if I purchased this set of china from a garage sale off of a, off of a stranger, it wouldn't hold the same value. I may not wrap it in, in, in bubble wrap and put it in my attic and put it in a, in a shatterproof box. Maybe I would put it in that cabinet with my ordinary dishes. But because I've developed this relationship, it holds this value. It holds this value, and it becomes special. I think I lost my PowerPoint. There we go. Okay. All right. So, like I said, do you have a deep level of respect and reverence for God, and do you set him apart? Or do you launch out into your prayers with God and ask him for everything that you want before taking the time to praise him, to thank him, to worship him? That's what we see Jesus doing right here in the Lord's Prayer is that first he addresses who he is praying to and then he takes the time to praise him, to worship him. Because, not because He's forcing us to. Not because this is the Lord's Prayer and this is what he tells us to do. It's because they developed a personal relationship together. And I believe that low levels of reverence, like I said, occurs because there's no intimacy, but also because we haven't spent time. And you may think that because I'm a pastor that I spend all my time with God. So I must have a lot of reverence. Well, let me tell you, just because I'm a pastor, that is not the case. In fact, the challenge with ministry is you could become so busy with doing things for God that you never spend any time with God. Amen? 
So we need to, and that's the first thing I learned when I became a pastor is, wow, I need to protect and preserve my time with the Lord now more than ever. I need to bubble wrap my time with God now more than ever. And, you know, some of us, we've lost the wonder and the majesty of God because it's become so familiar, right? It's, God has become so familiar. If we grew up in the church and we grew up around stories of, you know, Noah and God providing the ark so that Noah's family could be saved or him providing a whale to Jonah so that he could be saved and how he parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could move through it without, you know, being hunted down by the Egyptians. If we let these stories become so familiar that they're unfamiliar to us, we will lose the awesome awe and wonder of who God is, of who God is. What we need to do, and part of this comes from that cultivating that intimacy, is that the, we need to understand that the same God who parted the Red Sea for the Israelites is the same God who can rescue you today from whatever it is that you're going through, whether it be a financial setback, a broken relationship, an addiction. It could be a health crisis and a a bad health report that you're receiving from, that we need to understand that God can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask, hope, or imagine according to the power of the work that's in us. And so when we understand and rediscover how much, how awesome God is, we will have reverence. But I believe that there's things that we can do in the meantime to build more reverence in our life. And one of the great ways that I think we can do this is just surrounding ourselves and being surrounded by God's creation. Taking walks, taking hikes, going down to the ocean, putting yourself in situations where you can stand amongst God's majesty. That's part of the reason why my family vacation this year is to go whale watching in Maine is that I want my children to always understand the awesomeness and the majesty of who God is. And so we watch a lot of National Geographic. That's another thing that we do. And so all of this helps us to just hold it, hold God as, uh, I'm sorry, hold God as being set apart and being special. But we can also we can also spend time reflecting on the holiness of God. Because remember, the Greek word, hagiadzo, is that, is that God is holy. And when we think of God as being holy, as being set apart, and we read some of the Old Testament about, just in Leviticus, about all the ceremonial laws about how to approach God, all of a sudden we have awe and wonder. And that kind of flies in the face of some of the theology that, you know, God is just my, you know, best friend, you know, and we kind of, we kind of downplay. And yes, he is our friend and he wants to be our best friend. But if we treat him as just like our other friends in our life and not as someone who's set apart from everything else and holds a special value in your heart, it's just like me putting my grandmother's dishes in my kitchen cabinet with my other dinner plates. And I let my kids, you know, go, go set the table, boys. And they take out, you know, my everyday plates. But then they also take out my grandmother's china. And it's all mixed together. And it's, you know, they don't hold any value anymore. So we need to constantly reflect on just the holiness of God. And so as you can see, 
the Lord's Prayer has wonderful, wonderful themes behind the verses that if we just took the time to explore them a little bit, they will connect us deeper to our Father, deeper to God, but also it's going to revolutionize our prayer life. Some of us, our prayer lives, and I read this, I read this, uh, this study that, in fact, people who are going to school for ministry only pray six minutes a day. That was a study that was found, right? And part of the reason that we lack prayer is that we've lost this. We've lost the power of prayer because we've let the familiar, we've let that familiar become unfamiliar. And what does this quote say? It's unsuspecting familiarity which breeds contempt, which is disdain, which is you've lost the luster of it. And so we see this happening and we see that in verse 9, what Jesus is modeling is that when we approach God in prayer, we approach him from a place of intimacy, yes. And there's a connection between how much intimacy we cultivate and the amount of reverence that we approach God as well. But one of the foundational things, and I believe that this is the reason why Jesus started the Lord's Prayer this way, is that this is what, as followers of Christ, this is what our faith is founded on. Our faith is founded on identifying with the Father. It is identifying and having a personal relationship with him. So I ask, do you have a personal relationship with the Father? Have you cultivated a personal relationship with the Father? In John 14, he says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has made a way for you to have a relationship with the Father. His death and resurrection has paved the way for you to have a relationship with the Father. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. We, you, me, we have a sin debt. We all have lived short of the glory of God. And because of that sin debt, the only way to come into the presence of God, like the Levites coming into the holiest of holies, to be able to stand in front of a holy, perfect God, is for our sins to be redeemed. And so Jesus, he willingly, he willingly took on the death the most cruel death that could ever be by death on a cross to make an atonement for your sin and mine. And and because of that, we get to have a new life and a restored relationship with the Father. This is the gospel message. To some of you, this may be the first time you're hearing it. Others, it's very familiar. Don't let the message of the gospel become so familiar to you that it's unfamiliar. Don't let the grace and the mercy of God become so familiar to you that it's unfamiliar. 
So I want to invite you, no matter where you're at today, if you would like to begin a relationship with the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, it's very simple. Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that he died on a cross, you will be saved. You will be saved. But for some of you, some of you fall into the other group, which has allowed this message to kind of become too familiar. And God is calling you today to reignite your relationship with him. So if you would like to reignite your relationship with him, if, if, if maybe your, your reverence for him, your, you haven't yet cultivated that time with him, and, and, and you want to restart, refocus, and reignite, then this message is for you as well. And so wherever you're at, I just invite you to stand as a sign that you're ready to receive Christ, whether it's your first time or you want to reignite your relationship with him. Um, If you don't feel comfortable standing, you can sit as well. But while I pray for us, those are the two things that I want you to consider. And just ask God, where am I at on this spectrum? Where am I at? Allow God to draw you in to a place of intimate reverence. Let's pray. Dear Father God, Lord, again, we thank you for your word today to us. We thank you for Jesus and his example to us. Lord, teaching us not only how to pray, but how to pray in accordance with your will from a place of intimacy. Lord, thank you for reminding us today that you want to have an intimate, close relationship with us, that that you created us so that we could be objects of your love and receive that love. And Lord, out of that relationship, Lord, that, that we would revere you and we would give you the praise and the worship that is due your name. So Lord, I pray that you would forgive us forever holding a low view of you. I pray that you would forgive us for, for letting the familiarity of the gospel and the familiarity of God and the things of God and the kingdom of God to become so unfamiliar to us. Lord, we pray now that you would come and you would reignite our passion for you, that you would stir our hearts to seek you, that you would stir our hearts to to set you apart from other things in our life. And if we put anything in our life that is over and above that, we use that word awesome all the time. Maybe we use it too much. God, forgive us and help us. Lord, we pray all these things in your Son, Jesus' holy and precious name. And for those of you who want to begin a relationship with the Father today, it's a simple confession. Lord, I need you. Lord, I want you. I believe in you. Come into my life. Make your home in me. I believe you died on a cross for me, and there's nothing that I can do to repay or to earn my salvation. Would you, would you bring me into the Father's presence so we can enjoy and taste and see that the Lord is good? In Jesus' name, amen.